Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Boom hits it to deep left. That might send the Yankees to the World Series. Boom, a hero in game seven. Clemens has set a major league record for strikeouts in a game. Derek Jeter with one of the most unbelievable plays you will ever see by a shortstop. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Welcome to Fanbase, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports. Episode 1, How It All Began. I remember stories of my grandfather sitting in the living room with the radio on, listening to the Red Sox, and then getting so angry, he would turn it off with a huff and go outside to the garden. I remember stories of my dad going to Red Sox games with my grandmother on Ladies' Day when moms, women, Went for free. I, of course, remember seeing highlights of Carlton Fisk trying to will a ball fair in the 1975 World Series against the Big Red Machine of the Cincinnati Reds uh, as if I was there, but I was four. I also remember as a baseball player myself, as a 12-year-old, all I wanted to do in this whole world was make the all-star team, and I didn't. I do. I remember that. And then, of course... I remember this play in 1986. Little roller up along first, behind the bag. It gets through Buckner. Here comes Knight, and the Mets win it. That's when I believed firmly in the curse of the Bambino. Everybody in my house knew that the Red Sox sold Babe Ruth to the Yankees, and life had... <clears throat> Been pretty poor ever since. And then, of course, I was seven. I kind of remember it, but no one can forget the damage done and the phrase that will live still forever in Red Sox Nation, Bucky bleeping death. Deep to left. Yastrzemski will not get it. It's a home run. A three-run home run for Bucky Dent. The Yankees now lead it by a score of three to two. Bucky Dent has just hit his fifth home run of the year into the screen. I remember as a little boy lying on the living room floor, my dad scratching my head, watching the Yankees on WPIX, Phil Rizzuto, the scooter, calling the games. Holy cow! At all the big plays. And then he would run out of the game early to make it over the GW bridge. And my dad always laughing at that. 
I remember my grandfather telling me stories how we saw Babe Ruth in 1939 playing Cooperstown at the Hall of Fame game and how Mickey Mantle would have been the best baseball player ever if his legs hadn't given out on him. I remember being 13 and going to the Yankees-Red Sox game at Fenway Park and my favorite player, Don Mattingly, throwing me a ball during batting practice. And in 1994, when the Yankees had an awesome team, in my opinion, going to the World Series, at least the playoffs, and then comes the strike and baseball is crushed. And I can't forget 2001 when the Yankees kept coming back, kept coming back and almost gave New York and the United States the World Series it deserved at the time. His name is John Senecal. I am Brian Shackman. And of course, this is Fan Base, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports. Episode one is how it all began, which is we just told you where our love of baseball, our memories of baseball began. Uh, this podcast is going to explore really in the last 20 years, some of the most intense moments in all of sports came from this rivalry. We'll go back in history. We'll talk about the recent history and then uh, we'll just talk about life of a super fan. And then we hope to bring in a lot of the voices that were involved, not just in the rivalry, but just in baseball in general to give their perspective on this rivalry. But I have to ask you, John. What was the genesis? Because you came to me. We've known each other, what, I feel like for almost 20 years, right? Yeah, like 18 years we started working together back at NBC Connecticut back in the day. But, uh, yeah, the genesis of this is, um, in the grand scheme of things, there is no bigger rivalry in baseball, in sports, in general, than the Yankees and the Red Sox. You can't find a better rivalry, in my opinion. I think if you go across the sports nation and ask, in history, there isn't a better better rivalry. But I spent the last 20 years of my life living in Connecticut. And and for me personally, this is ground zero for the Yankees-Red Sox rivalry, where I live in New England. So that just kind of manifested for me. And then the more and more I thought about it, the more and more I I wanted to do this. And I know like just from all along that you would be a pers- perfect person to bring on board. And I'm glad we did. Well, you know, it's funny because and then when, you know, the the struggles that came with the pandemic and both of us uh, cut down our, our workloads a little bit with our day jobs and we were dealing with our children. But then it gave us a little more time to explore this. And we re- really put a lot of thought into how we were going to approach this. And, you know, just in terms of anyone who's skeptical about rivalries, I mean, I, I think about like in baseball, maybe Dodgers, Giants or Cubs, Cardinals. I don't think there's anything in baseball. Maybe the people in St. Louis and Chicago could get mad at me, but I don't even think that compares. I, I think that's like, in terms of height, it's going from Jabbar to Muggsy Bogues. You know what I mean? It's just it's not done. There's no comparison. And there's no and there's no more to talked about teams as far as I'm concerned. I mean, it, it, they're, they're like a gold standard, you know, and then, then you put the rivalry on top of that, you know. Everybody knows who the Yankees and Red Sox are. Everyone's always known who the Yankees are, but the Red Sox for sure have put their foot straight through the door in the last 15 years too. So that's, that's, it only made the rivalry even better. Two things we're going to do here. We're going to talk about how we sort of became super fans. And then we're going to talk about when we realized Sox Yanks mattered as much as it does now. But I, I have to ask you, you know, when I was little, what would you, you have a red a Yankees hat and a Yankees Jersey on a Yankee banner behind you. And if you went into Fenway park in 1982, when I was 11 and had that hat and Jersey on, in my opinion, you were looking for a fight. Yep. yep. And now, I'm going there, now. People might say some crap to you, but now, but right, I mean that that's dangerous to do. Have you ever felt threatened 
by gear wearing? I mean, everybody always, you know, takes it a little bit too far, depending on what location you're in. If you're in a restaurant, a bar or outside. But I, I mean, there's someone's always saying something to me uh, about Yankees, if I'm wearing Yankee stuff, which I usually always am. But believe it or not, this is the only Yankee jersey I own. And it's an actual Yankees jersey. There's no name on the yeah. back. That's not a real Yankees jersey. That's a Derek Jeter jersey that was given to me by my friend. But I didn't even buy this jersey. I usually just buy like the T-shirts and the stuff like that. But uh, yeah, uh, the, <laughs> I do take a lot of flack for it, no matter what, from three-year-old kids to 90-year-old women. If they're 90-year-olds, it's, it's, it, it runs the gamut. But nobody ever took a shot at you. Not, no, no one's ever physically taken a shot at me. I think uh, I, I, I knew when, like the gambler says, I knew when to fold them. And I think the other person knew when to fold them or some bouncer got involved or a wife <laughs> might have said it's time for you to move yeah. on or something. Well, speaking of wife, I'll tell a quick story. Then we'll get into the super fan. I, one of my first memories of Fenway Park, because I, I didn't go a lot when I was little, little, because we skewed toward Bruins because I was a big hockey guy. And my dad also had a good ends with Celtics tickets. And let's be honest, when my childhood, the Red Sox weren't great. And so Bruins and Celtics and the Patriots weren't good either. Bruins and Celtics were it. And so Larry Bird and Cam Neely, and I just was so much more into that. But I do remember going to a Red Sox game. And I remember every game there'd be a fight. Because you could always tell when the fight was. Because everyone in the stands would stand up and look to the box. And everything was segmented off in Fenway Park into boxes. And I will never forget this. I forget how old I was, but I was young. And two guys were jawing at each other. And one took a huge swing at the other guy, missed him, and hit the wife or girlfriend, right? Oh, and, and it was uh, over. And knocked, like, I think knocked her clean out. And, like, it was. Yeah. And for me, like, I'm not a violent guy. Like, I, I, I like, couldn't sleep for two nights. It was just. No, that's not, that's not a good situation. No, I uh, mean, it's interesting, though, because you said you didn't go, go to many games growing up. And I didn't either. I mean, I, I grew up in, out, upstate New York, outside of Albany. And it wasn't exactly around the corner. I mean, I live, I'm closer to Yankee Stadium now living in mm -hmm. Connecticut than I was in New York. So well, if I went to one game a year, if I was lucky until I was like in middle school and we started going a little bit older. But when I was a kid, I probably made a handful of games. It was just all on the radio and on television. Okay. So that brings up the great point, which is the next thing we want to talk about is, you know, I've always, even when I met you in 2002, you're a super fan. I didn't consider myself at that time a super fan, but you were. And I won't get into some of the stories, maybe later we can, of how it was confirmed to me that you were a super fan. But talk about how you got there. And like, was there a moment or game? Because I, I can think, I can kind of point to one or two things in me that made me sort of over the top. I mean, when did you become a quote unquote super fan? Well, I mean, I think, I mean, obviously when you, when you're a young boy and you're into baseball, you know, your, your 10 to 15 years of age is huge for you, you know, and the Yankees weren't great um, in the eighties. And uh, I, Don Mattingly, man, it was all about number 23, not Michael Jordan. It was, I want to be like Donnie baseball. Here it goes. Long drive and a grand slam upper deck for Mattingly. And I, I loved him. I was a left-handed hitter. He was a left-handed hitter, and he was just – he was the Yankees, you know. Everything – it was Donnie Baseball. So I became really, really entrenched in just following the Yankees and a big fan of the Yankees and baseball in general um, because of, of Don Mattingly. And then as it went on from there into the 90s when the Yankees really started to, you know, show some progress, and then and the funny thing is in college in – uh, when they made the World Series run and they were down to nothing, I was I was rooming with a guy um, from New York, like the city of New York. 
and he went down two nothing. He went outside and he burned three of his Yankees jerseys out front of the out in front of the place. And I looked and I was like, man, I thought I was into this stuff, and he was so pissed. It was unbelievable. And I remember my wife, girlfriend at the time, uh, my wife now was there, and she was like, this is unbelievable. And I was like, yeah. You well, know, he came back and he was so pissed that he burned those jerseys. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's money, money down the tubes. Gosh, I, that that's a great story. I, you know, for me. You know, like I said, I, I mean, when when we'll get to it later too. When when Clemens went fourteen and zero in nineteen eighty six, and all that happened, uh, I was obsessed. And in my house, you know, we we got a bunch of daily newspapers delivered, and it was a fight over the sports page. And I read every word. This is pre internet box era. scores, box scores, reading box scores. It was incredible. I was addicted to box scores, and I I truly thought that every time Boggs got up, he'd get a hit. I thought that every time Clemens started, he would win, and that's just the attitude. And but after '86, it was so heartbreaking. Um, we sort of—I don't know if I emotionally moved on. And then I went to to college, and I just remember uh, the summer after my sophomore year, I dated a girl who had just graduated. And like the second night of summer, I was a sophomore. My fake ID got taken, and so she moved to Boston. She's twenty-three. She's having your life is over. Your life is over. You lost your fake ID. Yeah, but it was not a sign of things to come. So I would. I didn't even get a job yet. So she's out working and whatever, and I had nothing to do. And she lived right uh, off of Newberry Street, so in the heart of the city. And so I, I, I I try to figure stuff out. So I walked over to Fenway Park alone one day, randomly. And the fire department would always people would donate a single ticket because single tickets are hard to get rid of to the fire department as they were raising money for muscular dystrophy. They'd they'd give a single ticket, then the the fire department would sell the ticket. They usually sell it just at face value, and that would be the donation to muscular dystrophy. So I went over there. So back in the day, you know, scalping the tickets weren't that expensive either. And right. Scalpers, you know, didn't do as good a business as they would do later. So I bought a single ticket. Didn't even know who was starting that day, actually. And it was like third or fourth row bleachers, right field, right behind the Red Sox bullpen. And I, it would, turns mm. out it was the Red Sox. Clemens was pitching. And I saw him warm up. And it was like moving. It was like spiritual. Like, I mean, I mean, the way – there was something different about the way he threw the ball. And I actually looked up, John, it's crazy. Cause I, I go back as June 16th, 1992 it was a Tuesday. Uh, the Yankees and Red Sox were not that good. The Yankees were two, two games below 500. The Sox were two games above. Uh, Clemens had seven innings pitch, six hits, one earned run, 10 Ks. I mean, anybody in, in 2020 would love that line. He left with a lead. Jeff Reardon. Mattingly was in that game. Yeah, and, and that's right. And and uh, uh, left with the lead, Reardon blew the save, and uh, that was it. And we're talking like Wade Boggs was on the team. Tony Pena was on the Red Sox. Jack Clark was batting a robust 216. Oh, Mike. I mean, look at Another that. Another Yankee. Another Florida Yankee. That's right. Did you take him before or after he was with the Sox? Oh, God, I don't know. Maybe we had him two or three times. <laughs> Who knows? Some of these guys, I feel like they weaved in over the years. It's, they're not as, as clear as a Johnny Damon switch over. Yeah, no, or even an Ellsbury in modern times. And and so, you know, but generally speaking. We got to do, do a whole episode on Ellsbury sometime. We could just sit there and stare at each other and not even talk. <laughs> well, you know what? I mean, when he was, <laughs> when he was healthy, healthy. He could change a game by being on base. Oh, he was amazing. He was amazing when he was healthy, but then he just decided not to be healthy. 
Yeah, and he just – that's the thing is when the Yankees go out and give that money, when they give that money to an, uh, an aging star, I mean, whether it's Damon or Ellsbury, I mean, there's a laundry list, Boggs, Clemens, former Red Sox who go yeah. to the Yankees because they think they can win it all. It's a bunch of garbage. Drives me nuts. Um, okay, so Ellsbury, – Ellsbury's probably out heli-skiing right now. Yeah, I mean, he's, uh, he's set for life, and he did very little for the Yankees – that's for sure. And obviously the theme of this podcast is the greatest rivalry in sports. And for me, I know very clearly when, because in researching the show, I mean, the, the history of the Red Sox really and the Yankees was Babe Ruth and then Bucky Dent. And that's it because they were always in the same league or the same division. Yeah. They didn't have a playoff. They didn't even play each other in the playoffs until 99. That's when they started playing each other in the playoffs. So when but did you just start to hate them? Like, what was your moment where this rivalry got real? When I moved to Connecticut and I realized how passionate both sides are about it. Because when I grew up in New York, it wasn't even an issue. Nobody walked around with Red Sox stuff. The Red Sox hadn't done anything prior to 2004. So, I mean, they weren't walking around with Red Sox hats like you see all over the country now. It just wasn't an issue. So you never ran into it. But coming here, it was like, boom, boom, smack in the face. I was like, everywhere I went, it was. But I wouldn't say... uh, as far as me personally, the rivalry is, you know, is 99 to 2004 and then on, you know, that is when yeah. it really started jamming for them, you know, in the games and the games got so much more hype because media got so much bigger and the television got bigger and all that. It was just, it was a bigger stage, but it's perfect stage for the two biggest teams. You know, it's it, no, who else would you want every year? They clamor for that baseball you know, clamors for that. You know, I read a lot about Ted Williams and how a couple of his teams were really close to being great, and the Yankees were just better back then. But I I don't know how much the rivalry dug deep, and maybe it did for some. And my dad used to say it was a real rivalry. But to me, people look at it as this most historic rivalry, but I agree with you. It's a 21st century rivalry. And, you know, in 86, when I was devastated, uh, you know, when the Red Sox lost to the Mets on, you know, obviously the Buckner ball, in game six is the iconic moment, but it was just, I was so devastated and thought I was going to be a loser for life, in, at least in terms of being a fan. Uh, but it wasn't about the Yankees. It was just about the Red Sox being losers. Don't we blame the Yankees, right? Because right. of Babe Ruth, but there wasn't a ha- hatred of the Yankees until one guy came along. And who do you think that guy is? Can you guess? Hmm. Let me think. Is, is, it, is it a four letter acronym? Um, yeah. <laughs> and we did not rehearse that either. Um, yes, Alex Rodriguez, who almost became a Red Sox and goes to the Yankees. And he was this is what this is when I not only when I started to really dislike the Yankees, it's also when I believed, even though there were various moments of it being crushed, that there was a chance that maybe we could change history. Is when Alex Rodriguez got hit by a pitch, and he was going on. And let's face it, he was 6'4", 235, beautiful. Yeah, and, and he's he's they bring it up because you know what? He was untouchable. He was untouchable. Who was no, gonna nobody was going to touch him, and he didn't not think that, so either. Yeah, and not that he was so tough. Just because he was a superstar, he had made more money than basically. Right. It's, it's, like, it's like plowing Gretzky into the boards. You're not going to do that. No, that's a, that's a great analogy. And you know what? Veritek was basically like, if you don't shut your mouth, I'm going to shut it for you. Veritek and A-Rod going at it. Schilling is right in the middle of it. Now another fight off to the side. And the fact that Veritek did that, 
just showed me, you know what? They're not going to be intimidated by anybody. And it just it just made A-Rod seem petty. And I'm like, wow, he's human. It's almost like when they cut Drago in Rocky Four. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> he bleeds. you can beat him. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm sure and I'm sure that carried over, Brian. It had to have with that season. It had to have because even the, even the season before in 2003, you got Zimmer coming out to fight Pedro in the playoffs. You got Boone <laughs> walking off. Like, I mean, how much more rivalry can you get? And then all of a sudden it spills into 2004 and it's like, and then what happens in 2004, that had to have carried for them. It had to have been a big point in the season for them. Yeah, And, of course, we will go through um, that 2004 ALCS. I think we do it in three episodes. And it, it is amazing. But that A-Rod Veritek moment is in 2004. Three, as Bone hits it to deep left. That might send the Yankees to the World Series. Bone, a hero in game seven. And 2003 is where we will start episode two. Now, of course, the ALCS, Red Sox, Yankees, um, for you, it was one of the most glorious moments. For me, it was one of the most devastating moments, both professionally and personally. And that's why we call episode two, Aaron Bleepin' Boone. John, just tee it up just for a second in terms of what, how that win stacks up for you in terms of your like career as a Yankee fan. I mean, other than them turning it all around, as far as me watching them turning it all around in 96 and winning that World Series, that this one is the biggest Yankees win that I've ever watched. I wasn't at the game and I was I've been at some big games. I wish I was at that game because that that was amazing. The game itself was amazing. The ending was amazing. If you're a Yankees fan, it's just it's it's, it's an awesome baseball game. Yeah, I was in Boston waiting for a, a victorious Red Sox team to come back so I could cover it for the morning news, and my story changed quite a bit with one, one swing of the bat. So episode two, Aaron, Bleepin' Boone. This is Fanbase, a deep dive into the greatest rivalry in sports. You can catch us on Spotify, on Apple, or the player that you're listening to this podcast right now or wherever else you get your podcast. You can also see uh, the video of this podcast on YouTube. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. <sighs> Spring is a time of renewal. So why not refresh your home with a little help from Blinds.com? We make getting custom window treatments a minor project with major impact. Choose from premium blinds, shades, and shutters. We even have options for your patio, too. Blinds.com invented a better way to shop for custom window treatments. There's no pushy salespeople in your home or inflated showroom prices. Our design experts can help you find the perfect window treatments on your schedule. We'll even send free samples directly to you. 
Plus, we can handle the measuring and installation for you. Unlimited window treatments installed for just one low cost. And with Blinds.com, you'll always get transparent pricing. No hidden fees. Our free shipping and 100% satisfaction guarantee can put the spring back into your step. And into your home, too. Shop Blinds.com right now and save up to 45%. Up to 45% off for a limited time at Blinds.com. Blinds.com. Rules and restrictions may apply. 